0: This is not a history story. This is my story. This is what happened to my country and to my father's country and my father's father's country. In the early 1960s I saw bulldozers rip through our Gumach country in Northeast Arnhem Land. I saw my father stand in front of them to stop them. I watched him cry when our sacred waterhole was bulldozed. I saw a township wreck our beautiful homeland forever. I saw my father suffering physically when this happened. I can never forget that. This land is something that is always yours. It doesn't matter what nature or politics do to change it. We believe the land is all life. So it comes to us that we are part of the land and the land is part of us. Those are the words of Dr. Galaroy Unipingu, Australian of the Year in 1978. And it's with those words that Arthur Moses SC began Dr Unipingu's case in the Federal Court this week, a case with potentially huge implications for land rights in the Northern Territory. Joining us to discuss the potential significance of Dr Unipingu's case is Jonathan Fulcher, partner at law firm Hopgood Gannam Lawyers and adjunct professor at the University of Queensland. Jonathan Fulcher, thanks very much for joining us early on a Sunday morning for a discussion of Australian constitutional law.
1: No problem, always a pleasure. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm going to use my uh, all-time favourite Australian legal expression in my first question, Jonathan, because I think it applies here. Jonathan, what, what's the vibe of the Unipingu versus Commonwealth Gove compensation claim case?
1: It's uh, the reference to to um, the counsel for Daryl Kerrigan is, is an <laughs> opposite one, I think. Um the, there's a simple uh, principle at the heart of this is a is a principle of unfairness i think mm. that um dr yunapingu who's been to to um to to pass your quote of him a, a kind of warrior poet for his people over you know decades um there's a there's a very simple idea here that i didn't give up my land my land is mine um, and there has been no lawful um, acquisition of it. So, I- I- in essence, it's, it does connect directly to that um, comedic vision in the castle. Um, but I think there's, there's more to it than that, and that is that when you actually examine the law here, there is very little justification for the taking of vast swathes of country um, in the late 18th century. So... Um, I think the case has has some serious um, implications. I think the federal court has made uh, that judgment as well because it's um, a full bench of judges that is hearing this case. Is that unusual? Yeah, right. Yes, very unusual at first instance to have a full bench, but it, it suggests the seriousness of the matter.
0: So the case turns on, I think it's section 5131 of the Constitution. What does... That section say, and what does what argument flows from that for Dr. Unipingu? So this
1: this, um, this 5131, Capitum 5131 of the Constitution um, provides for just terms acquisitions of property by the Commonwealth. So there's three limbs to it. Um, there needs to be an acquisition. There needs to be a taking of property, and then it, it needs to have been done by the Commonwealth. So, if we look at each of those in turn, the acquisition of native title is permitted by the Native Title Act. It's con- it's contemplated by it. Um, but in fact, what's really happening when the Crown takes land is that there is a surrender of native title. Um, so there's a pulling back of the of the or a clearance of the title from the land, rather than there being a positive acquisition. So that that's probably the first hurdle that the that the um, applicants um, and Dr Unipingu will have to um, uh, jump over. The second issue is the question of whether native title is property, and um, property is you know, um, uh, a contested terrain. Yeah, because I mean, look, like, like to,
0: even to state that question, uh, sort of from the ordinary viewpoint, seems uh, strange. Like the Mabo case, famously recognised native title. That that sounds like a property right why wouldn't native title be regarded as property um, under the Constitution and under section 5131
1: well I think it I think it there is a strong argument that it is property the problem with the the definitions of property is that for a proprietary interest you need to be able to you know in some cases be able to gain rent from the land you can't do that with native title it's inalienable so you can't mortgage it or sell it um, these are sort of some of the indicia of property that um, I- exist under the common law. And so, uh, again, there's, a, there's some difficulties in, in running a case about property. Personally, now, I think that this is the easiest limb for, for, the, for them to argue mm. uh, for, because I think, I think, in essence, Native Title, despite its um, what um, Justice Gummo referred to, its inherent defeasibility, and although I'll come back to that, That notion um, is is um, it's definitely property for the purposes of 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 an acquisition of title.
0: On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Jonathan Fulcher, partner at the law firm Hopgood Gannam Lawyers and adjunct professor at the University of Queensland about uh, a uh, what could be a very significant uh, constitutional and land rights case uh, started by Dr Galaroy Unipingu and argued in the federal court uh, this week. Uh, Jonathan, you said you wanted to come back to uh, those uh, that, that, that idea of the indefeasibility uh, or the defeasibility of uh, native title. Uh, what's the significance of that?
1: So this is this idea that really started in the early native title cases in the 90s that, you know, native titles are fragile, um, almost ephemeral right um, that um, is subject to uh, adverse crown action. And I think the, the issue here is uh, I think this notion has been gradually um, eroded by, by some academic work by Professor Brennan, um, that's Sean Brennan. Um, and um, it's also, I think, a, a rather strange way of seeing native title, given the powerful protection of native title under the Native Title Act, and the Native Title Act has changed the game uh, in relation to to these matters. And I think that the indif- the, the feasibility point is is uh, again an, a, not a not a difficult mm. um, p- part of the case to get over for the applicants.
0: Jonathan, has compensation under this this provision, Section 5131, um, been awarded to native title holders ever before?
1: Um, Well, so the Native Title Act refers to um, just terms acquisition. There is an attempt in the Native Title Act to to limit the, the compensation to the value of the freehold land But I think that that limit can't be, uh, you know, the the statutory provision can't override the constitutional guarantee. So I I think um, there's there's, there's the possibility here, a very strong possibility here, that the Native Title Act provides for just terms compensation, um, and and that's what the courts will find. Um, There's a judgment in um, the Timber Creek case, which has valued native titles, so we now know what native title is worth and there's a um there's a, a book by um dr william isdale about uh compensation which has just come out um which is an excellent analysis of of the uh, these issues so uh, yeah the, i don't think the just terms point um is it while it has its difficulties i think this this case um will be taken seriously and has some um has some strong merit.
0: Mm. Um, I I believe there's been a bit of legal debate about another High Court case going back in 1969 and whether or not um, uh, when the High Court looked at some uh, claims by a group of Papuans who opposed the development of the Bougainville mine, how that might apply to this situation. Could you sort of unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I I, I was I, I know about this case, and I and I'm I think it's a bit curious that it's being used to to defend the Crown's position. There's um, there's case law going back to the 1600s about um, literally an Englishman's home is his castle, um, and um, there's a case called Plenty and Dillon, which is still part of the law of of, of Australia, which which prevented. Um, or or voided um, the attempt by a police officer to serve a warrant um, on Mr Plenty's daughter by walking down his driveway without the permission of Mr Plenty. So while that's a trespass case and trespasses are subject to limitations acts, I think the court will say, well, there's a a real issue here about um, protecting land and property owned by people um and the crown has has blundered in, um, so there's a long jurisprudence, uh, you know, which sort of uh, supports an argument that property rights have to be strongly protected, and there, and even against as against the crown, and and there's a long jurisprudential history in the high court of defending individual rights. So mm. I think the case is, the case has got some serious legs, if I might put it in colloquial terms.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's there's certainly uh, something striking about a former Australian of the Year up against the Commonwealth government in an argument uh, about land rights. Let, let's uh, consider it from the other perspective. What what is the Commonwealth's argument in terms of why Dr Unipingu's claim shouldn't be accepted?
1: So th- one of the the principal um, issues here is that the there is the creation of the territory by the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, under under the Constitution, that can you know the Commonwealth can has the power to create territories, um, and the legislation that creates the Northern Territory um, is a mediating um, statute that creates a lot of complexity around Crown actions in 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 the Northern Territory. And I I suspect that one of the battlegrounds here will be. The crown saying that it's acted perfectly lawfully in in uh, in its acquisition of this territory through that legislation. Um, the other thing is that, and we haven't yet even touched on. The compensation outcome.
0: I was going to that's come to, to that, happening. yeah, because yeah, the headlines yeah. say you know possibly seven hundred million dollar claim by Dr Unipingu. Um, I think that's could, conservative. Yeah, right. Well, that's could could you go to um, what acquisition on just terms would mean? I suppose both for Dr Unipingu in this specific case, but perhaps also the broader ramifications.
1: So the Native Title Act provides for validation of acts which might have affected, which affected native title, um, from the commencement of the Racial Discrimination Act. The problem about those validations of of, of you know wrongful um, acquisition or invalid title claimed by the Crown is that the Native Title Act doesn't refer to the Racial Discrimination Act in terms of a of a time limit. It's only that. Um, Lawyers have assumed that that's really what creates the invalidity is that people were treated differently after 19, uh, 31 October 1975 when the RDA commenced, but there is no such time bar there, and I think um, there is. There's this, the the Native Title Act provides a simple um, way of getting around uh, a statute of limitations in relation to, to trespass or n- nuisance hmm. um, in terms of acquiring an interest by the by the Crown. Um, that means that the claim by Dr Unapingu is, is at least 67 years, uh, um, you know, prior to 75. And so um, the acquisition of land in that time is a significant, uh, there's a significant, you know, body of acquisition that's occurred um, both by the Commonwealth and th- through the Territory. So the number, I I think seven hundred million dollars is is potentially very conservative, and the Commonwealth has an obligation to the taxpayers of Australia to defend a claim of that magnitude. I don't think anyone can fault the Commonwealth for wanting to put up a, 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 a you know a, a strong response mm. here. Uh, would, um, so,
0: would this case, if Dr Unipingu's successful, have implications beyond the Northern Territory?
1: Yes, I think, but possibly for slightly different legal reasons. Don't forget, um, you know, pre-1975, there's still um, common law protections, as I've said, against people just rocking into your backyard and saying, this is now mine. Um, and so, uh, and particularly the Crown doing that. So I think, I think there might be other arguments generated um, in, in subsequent cases. About you know just a common law argument about about this, again, there is potential statute of limitations, um, restrictions on these kinds of actions, mm. but the court may, may may you know as you know, the court has a discretion to to waive those limitations um, in the interests of justice and I, I think uh, you know it's hard to say what what arguments uh, might be might be rendered in the future. The other thing to to point out, in this context, is that the states are not subject to a just terms limitation, right, um, or, or guarantee, and so um, the, you know the, the acquisition by say Queensland or or New South Australia or Western Australia are not necessarily subject to the same restrictions. So. Um, or stipulations, I should say. Hmm. So, so, so yeah, I, I think I think there, but I still think there could be other arguments um, adduced in those jurisdictions. Uh,
0: and and just just finally and very quickly, Jonathan Fulcher, one difference between Dr. Unipingu's case and and Daryl Kerrigan's case is that Dr. Unipingu in the federal court. Um, uh, Daryl Kerrigan, of course, went to the, the high court. Is this decision, I mean, no matter how way it goes, no, matter which way it goes, likely to end up in the high court anyway?
1: With the size of the swinging compensation, uh, almost certainly right. it will end up in high
0: court. So it could take many, many more years to be resolved. At
1: least, at least four years, I'd imagine,
0: wow. to get an answer. Okay. Well, Jonathan Fulcher, thank you so much for um, explaining the case to us this morning on Sunday Extra. No problem. Thank you. That's Jonathan Fulcher, partner at the law firm Hopgood Ganim and adjunct professor at the University of Queensland.